Welcome to McClatchy's Beyond the Bubble podcast, where for the first time in a very long time, the majority of this podcast team is coming at you from Florida. I'm Kristen Roberts, head of news at McClatchy, and I am happy to be joined by my occasional podcast partner, Adam Wolner, our political editor in the DC Bureau. Hello, Adam. Kristen, it's good to be back on a podcast with you. I feel like it's been ages. It has been a really long time. I'm intrigued by your window coverings in the back. Are those shutters or just blinds? I'm no, that's just the way that the blinds are are set up. And it, and if it wasn't for those, like my face would just be completely blotted out. Like you wouldn't they be able really to see it. They look really high style though. So whatever you did there at Home Depot, good job. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I am also super delighted today to be joined by Bianca Padro Ocasio a Miami Herald reporter who has been covering the presidential contest in Florida in Spanish and in English. Hello, Bianca. Hi, thank you so much for having me. It's great no, no, to no. Be here. Thank you for joining us. It's going to be a much better show with you on. So here's our plan. We've got fewer than 50 days to go in this contest, and that means we're in the final phase of 2020. There are seven weeks, and so seven shows left. And for each of the next five weeks... We're going to dedicate one show to a state where the race is both tight and crucial. And that starts today with Florida. No one who listens to this podcast needs to be told about the role that Florida plays in presidential politics. So we're just going to get started with no preamble. Adam, I'm going to you first. What is the state of play? What do the numbers say? Yeah, if you just want to look at, at what the, the polls say right now, we can get into a little bit later how much we want to trust those in Florida in particular. But just looking at the, the 538 uh, polling average this morning, you're looking at a, a narrow lead right now of Biden by about two, uh, which is actually one of the better results for, for Trump right now, just looking at sort of the battleground map in general. We've been talking ad nauseum on this podcast about the core six battleground states, which include some of those Midwestern states, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, Michigan, North Carolina, and Arizona, some of those numbers aren't looking quite as, as great for, for, for the president. But, um, but I think if you talk to strategists on both sides, you know, they, they view this as a toss up, right? Even if some of these polls do show Biden with, with a slight edge based on some of the huge polling misses we've seen in Florida in recent elections, I think Democrats in particular are wary about trusting some of these, the public polls that, that we're seeing here. But really, you know, what, what's important to keep in mind with Florida and it being a swing state is that, you know, it is absolutely critical for, for Donald Trump to carry this state if he wants to win a second term. You know, Joe Biden certainly is, is competing hard there, would, would love to win Florida. That's one of the many avenues that he can get to 270. But it's really, really difficult, you know, if you, you know, talk to, to strategists in either party to see the president winning a second term without Florida. And it's a big, expensive state, which is why you see the campaigns spending so much money there. Because it's so important for Trump, Democrats are trying to sort of cut cut Trump and the Republicans off there. You know, it's kind of the, they see that as the quickest, easiest way to deny him a victory is if they're able to sort of eke out a victory there or at least make him spend a lot of resources there. But but as of right now, less than seven weeks from the election, I don't think you're going to find anybody who's, who's going to say that this isn't a, a pure toss up right now between Trump and Biden. Okay, so that's all well and good. That's what the polls say. But Bianca, what do the lawn signs say on the ground? Does the on the ground intel comport with the numbers? Yeah, I think Adam is absolutely right. When he talks about Florida, you know, it's all about the margins here. It's all about how much can you carve out 
out of each community that is growing here, not just in South Florida, but in Central Florida as well. So I think that what you're going to see is that, you know, when you look at the Cuban American community and when you look at, you know, the way that Cuban voters behave, that's a, a community that is definitely becoming more diverse in the way that they vote. But I think it is still very secure for Republicans in, in Florida. But when you look at more, you know, the different ethnicities like Puerto Ricans, when you even look at Haitian Americans as voters, you really have to to know that they don't behave in the same way as Cuban American voters. They don't just vote in a block the way that Cubans vote. And that is where the opportunity is for for Biden. Uh, you know, how many people can he carve out from those different communities that are growing in Florida? So I think that, you know, I was just in, in Kissimmee when Biden had his, his visit there. And, you know, I think that at least Puerto Ricans still need more of a reason to vote for Joe Biden. They, they need to see, you know, what are the specifics when you look at his plan? How much of it can actually be accomplished, which is something that was very much a talking point among community leaders. So, you know, I, I think that the excitement factor is still not necessarily there with some communities. And that is, you know, an opportunity window for, for Democrats in Florida in the next several weeks. It's always important for people to listen to to reporters and experts break down the Hispanic vote. Like too many people talk in this incredibly reductionist way about the Latino vote. There's no Latino vote. It is not a thing that is mythology, right? And I'm 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 so fascinated, Bianca, about your reporting from Central Florida, right? And you're reporting particularly in the Puerto Rican community, which is so much larger today than it was four years ago. Flesh that out a little bit. How are you thinking about that as a voter group? Absolutely. I think, I mean, I think it's such a fascinating region because, you know, there's a lot of reporting that's been done about how it's the fastest growing region in Florida, not just in terms of construction, you know, people moving to Central Florida from other parts, but you have a lot of Puerto Ricans who have relocated to Central Florida. Maybe they started out in Kissimmee in Osceola County, but now they've moved outside of kind of the larger Orlando metro area. So they've moved to the wider I-4, what is called the I-4 corridor. So you see more Puerto Ricans living in Lake County and Polk County, in Volusia County. And that's something that that we really need to be looking at. You know, how how are those counties going to change? You know, counties that have been historically more red and Republican and safely Republican, how are they going to change in the next, you know, five to 10 years? So I think that this election is going to be really interesting from kind of that demographic standpoint, because Seminole County, which is, you know, north of Orlando, Orange County, it has become bluer ever since 2018 in the midterms. We saw that a lot of, you know, Republicans in the state legislature were not reelected. And, you know, there is kind of a change in that sense. So, you know, whether that's going to be reflected in the general election, we still have to wait and see. But what I can say is, you know, in speaking with Puerto Ricans, in speaking with community leaders, they still do feel that, you know, we're seven weeks out and the policy plan for Puerto Rico was just rolled out. Is that enough to excite a lot of people who did not see a presence from Joe Biden for the past several months when there was still kind of the, the Democratic primary playing out? Um, but is it going to be enough time? Because 
because that's always the criticism, right, that we've seen in previous years in 2018. There was a huge disappointment from, you know, political strategists that they thought that Puerto Ricans were going to be kind of that surprise vote. They were going to give state Democrats a lot of victories that really did not pan out. So there's so much pressure on how are Puerto Ricans going to behave. But I think that when we look actually at what is motivating people to go out and actually vote and cast a vote for Joe Biden, what what is that going to entail? Adam, I want you to jump in here because I want you to tap into all that hotline knowledge that you bring to the table because Bianca did a really good job of name dropping a number of important counties and counties of actually increasing importance when you're looking at overall state of Florida politics. What do you see, Adam, as the counties we should be watching as we try to gauge the strength of one candidate over another? And then Bianca, I'd like your view on that too. Yeah, you know, yeah, it's it's interesting to see how different parts of the state have sort of been been moving, even in just the last few election cycles, right? You know, South Florida, for instance, now has has become much more democratic as those you know suburban areas outside of Miami really had, and we saw that in, in 2018, you know, in, in a district like Florida's uh, 26th district, I think is a great example of this, right? Where Carlos Carvello, this Republican, held on you know to that seat for for a few terms. That one was very you know highly contested from both parties, but in the end, he ended up losing you know pretty soundly. And that's you know one that you know while it's kind of on the map if we're talking you know in terms of house races, you know certainly is is in the top tier. While every two years we talk about that district, every two yeah, years, right? Exactly. That one is kind of moving further and further out of reach for the Republicans. But meanwhile, you know, the rest of the state certainly has been moving more to the the right. Now, of course, I think anybody who's followed presidential elections in recent years knows a lot about the I-4 corridor, right? I mean, that's always a huge swing area uh, for both parties. And just looking at kind of how different parts of the state have shifted over the past few presidential elections, that's one that has shifted a little bit to the right, but still, you know, remains one that, you know, Democrats are hoping that, that they can make some gains in. And then the rest of the state, you're looking at, you know, the Panhandle, the Jacksonville area, th- those are really starting to shift further to the right. So I think when we're talking about you know certain counties to look at in in Florida, you know you have to think about what, what Bianca mentioned earlier is that you know it's really just all about the, the margins, right? In some of these you know more rural areas in, in the Panhandle around the Jacksonville area, in the Biden campaign they're not looking to win there, but can they at least cut into the margins in some of these more rural areas with more white working class voters? You know further south, can in in, in the Miami area, can, can Republicans find ways to eat into those margins in the suburbs, make further inroads with with Latino voters? You know you almost have to break down Florida into several different states, right? to sort of understand exactly how this you know massive state with 27 electoral votes is going to vote in November. Bianca. It's very interesting when you, Adam, when you talk about kind of breaking up the, the state of Florida, because I think that's how campaigns are looking at it as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, how can we divide, you know, Florida into three different states and how are we going to message to them? But I, you know, I definitely stand by my previous statement that the I-4 corridor, I think, is is one of the most exciting parts of, of Florida because it's just it changes every every election. You know, every two years, you kind of see a different shift in in the way that that people are going out to vote. But I do agree that in Miami-Dade and South Florida, you know, even though it's kind of a, a very secure kind of democratic region, you you still have to look at you know when you break it down, when you look at the different precinct level data of what Miami-Dade looks like. I do think that there is a, a shift in the way that these very kind of Republican neighborhoods and Republican areas are 
are leaning a little bit more democratic or at least more independent in the past couple of years. There's a lot of reasons for that, but you know, there, there is a change in demographics when it comes to younger Cubans and the ways that they are behaving. You know, these are people who grew up in South Florida who know the issues that they care about are not necessarily having to do with Cuban policy. So that's something to watch out for every election. <laughs> So you're in a really interesting position of reporting in both English and in Spanish. And these campaigns are attempting to reach people in both English and in Spanish. And the issues that they that they tap into when they're when they're campaigning in two different languages are distinct. Bianca, bring our listeners into that. What are the differences you see both in the Trump campaign and in the Biden campaign when they go into Spanish? Yeah, I mean, I think this is one of the most fascinating things to come out in terms of the Spanish language ads that are coming out in Florida, because I didn't expect to see it like this. But, you know, the Biden campaign is kind of putting out these Spanish ads that are very much, you know, catered to, you know, Latinos and kind of the, the pan Latin American community. But then all of a sudden you started seeing the Trump campaign really showing that they understood, you know, the differences between the different populations. And if you really notice the way that conservatives are messaging, Messaging to Hispanics, they don't like using the term Latinx. They hate the term Latinx. They don't even use the term Latino. They use, you know, like, if anything, they use Hispanics, but they won't, you know, they will call like Cuban Americans, they will call Puerto Ricans, they will call Venezuelans. Like they, they know how to do that. And I think that the Biden campaign is kind of catching on little by little. And they have a lot of these coalition groups, like the Venezuelans for Biden, the Puerto Ricans for Biden. It, that's showing more and more in their ads and how they're using the accents that pertain to a certain community. So something really interesting, just an example, there were these Spanish ads that the Trump campaign rolled out. And they used one in Spanish to cater to the Puerto Rican community called Algarete, which basically means in Spanish, like a mess, like just this is crazy. And in it, they kind of talked about, you know, how the Biden campaign and all the liberals were boycotting Goya and, you know, they were doing all this boycotting Hispanic businesses and all this stuff. But they used slang that was Puerto Rican. And a lot of people saw that accent used as kind of being a little cartoonish. But I thought I thought it was very interesting. I mean, it showed competency. And that's what they really want to be doing and messaging to Latinos is we understand where you're coming from. And then. The Biden campaign came out with a TV ad featuring Bad Bunny, who is a, a trap singer from Puerto Rico, a rapper, using one of his songs and playing, you know, footage of Trump. And it was a little, you know, it wasn't a serious ad necessarily, but it was a breakup song. And they used the hashtag Rompe con Trump, like break up with Trump. And this was messaging to, you know, Latinos who maybe are not totally decided that they want to vote for for Trump or Biden. So, you know, it, it's it's things like that. Like you just show that you're that you're understanding where people are coming from. You're not necessarily trying to launch, you know, the Project Lincoln ads, but you're just trying to show that you get it. You know, Adam, I, I do wonder a lot, sitting in Florida, having come from D.C. Um, and the political circle, I just wonder a lot whether Democrats get so distracted by a different Latin story than what is distinctive to Florida, right? They understand the Latin community as it's defined by California or Nevada. And do they not have the sophistication in their approach to Florida the way that the Trump campaign did have a level of sophistication in their ads because of that? Or what is the, why, why did it take the Democrats and Biden's team in particular so long to land on 
its ability to be nuanced in its approach. Yeah, I, I guess I, I see a couple of things. One being that, and I think you know this has been a criticism of Democrats for for years now, is that they often will take voters of color for granted. You know, whether you're talking about Black voters, Latino voters, because these are groups that historically have voted overwhelmingly for for Democrats, and especially coming out of 2016, there was so much talk about you know the white working class shifting from Trump in the Midwest, and then in 2018, it was all about the suburbs. I think that is where a lot of the energy has been focused, you know, from, from Joe Biden, Democrats up and down the ballot. And you can understand that, you know, especially when you look at the map and, you know, one of the easiest ways for Joe Biden to get to 270 is just to, to flip Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, Michigan, and that's it. And there aren't really all that many Latino voters in those states. But then all of a sudden, you know, when a state like Florida, you know, is looking like it's coming more into play, that's when, you know, these messages come in handy. And oftentimes, I think a lot of those those voters feel like, oh, it, you know, it's, it's September, an election must be right, right around the corner. Now they're going to start to appeal to us. We only hear from them, you know, every two years, every four years in the fall when it's election season, and that's when they need our vote. So I think, you know, Democrats run the risk of, you know, even in a year like 2020, where in the short term, I think that they maybe could get away with not winning as much of the Latino vote in a state like Florida, just given the way that the map is shaping up. But they have to think about the long-term direction of their party and how critical voters of color, how critical Latino voters in states like Florida, Arizona, Nevada are going to be to them long-term and how they can't just treat them as a monolith. And they need those individualized messages to win them over. And they need to start running those earlier than just the fall of an election year. Yeah. Bianca, you agree with Adam? I see you nodding your head. Yeah, I actually, I think it might be a mix of that and also just lack of money early on and not necessarily mm -hmm. thinking that that Latinos are worth investing in very early on. So, you know, it, I think that there's more of a recognition from Democrats that Hispanic voters are not just an afterthought. But I think that, you know, that didn't necessarily show early on in this election. And there was a lot of early criticism of that. So so I do think it's a it's a mix of both. And to be right. clear, it's national Democrats, right? I mean, local Democrats yeah. know exactly what their audience is, and they're far better at yeah. doing this than national Democrats are in Florida. And, you know, Florida is, is a very expensive state, and to Bianca's point, where especially earlier on in a campaign before you really get into the swing of things, you know, if you're a challenger, you're not raising all that much money. Joe Biden had some financial troubles coming out of the primary for sure. And I think there was also a question up until relatively recently, how much is Florida actually in play for, for Joe Biden and the Democrats? I think the way that the results went in Florida in 2016 and in 2018, uh, you know, Florida was one of the bright spots on the map for Republicans in a, in a year that was otherwise a Democratic wave year. I think there were some, some questions earlier on, you know, is it actually worth investing in such an expensive state? like Florida when there are other avenues to win. But clearly when the polls are showing such a, a close race and you have, you know, these voters are going to be critical to their coalition going forward, you certainly can't ignore it. I think you're totally party. right about that. I think that's totally accurate. I don't think this party really had decided what they were going to do in Florida. Mm -hmm. I'm talking about the Democrats. I don't think Democrats have really decided what they were going to do in Florida until we got deep into 2020, actually. Right. And that's why that's why you saw a lot of members of the party start to put pressure on Michael Bloomberg to, to, to spend big there. And he you know, made a commitment over the weekend to spend hundred million dollars over the, the next seven weeks, which is which is no small sum, even in a big state like Florida. Which is why we're stuck with you today, because Alex Rorty is all supporting that, isn't it? <laughs> yes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Apolog apologies to, to the to the listeners in advance. <laughs> awesome. I want to get to the second and last part of the show, which everybody who listens to this show knows is my favorite part. It's where you guys get to tell me something that I don't know. And this time I'm going to go with our special guest, Bianca. What's new in your notebook? I think that something that that we really need to be paying attention to is, you know, 
and I'm fascinated by, you know, Puerto Rican voters, obviously. But I think that when thinking of Puerto Rican voters, I think that they're closer to Haitian voters than they are to Cuban voters. And that's something that, you know, I, I was talking to my colleague, Jacqueline Charles, who, who covers the Haitian community very deeply here. But Puerto Rican voters need a reason to go out to to vote for a certain candidate. They have experienced a lot of them after Hurricane Maria when they moved to Central Florida. A lot of, you know, candidates and a lot of politicians kind of going to the motels and, you know, talking to Puerto Rican voters, but not necessarily seeing exactly how they're being represented at the national level. So Haitian voters are exactly the same way. They they need a reason to go out to vote. And these are people who, you know, are listening to the media from the places that they're from. They're listening to Puerto Rican TV and, you know, Puerto Rican radio and Haitian voters are listening to, you know, Creole radio and they're listening to what is happening in Haiti and how are candidates really paying attention to to the places that they're from. And that's what they care about. And they don't necessarily vote in a block in the same way that Cuban voters do. Even though Haitians are overwhelmingly Democrats, there is something that that needs to be said. And that might surprise people in November. You know, what 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 wasn't done and what what were people missing before they were really convinced that they had to vote for Joe Biden or for Donald Trump? So, you know, at the end of the day, when you look at the specific groups, they all have their own issues and they all have their different things that they that they will go out to vote for. But that's something to keep in mind that Puerto Ricans don't necessarily behave like Cuban voters, as a lot of people think. God, that's a really good one, Bianca. Well done. All right, Adam, your turn. So I, you know, I think, you know, we've already been starting to to prepare listeners for this possibility that, you know, we're going to have to be patient on election night, right? With changes to to voting uh, across the country, a lot of, a lot more people are going to be voting early or by absentee, you know, just all of the votes just aren't going to be in on election night. But for those who still really want to get a sense of which way the race is going on election night, Florida may actually be your best bellwether. Unlike most states, they are allowed to start processing early votes ahead of election date. So even though most Florida voters still plan to vote before election day, uh, there's a recent Monmouth poll um, showing that only a third of Florida voters said that they were going to vote in person. The rest said they were either going to vote uh, in person at an early voting location or by mail. A lot of those votes are going to be counted ahead of time. It's a relatively um, early poll closing. So while we may not actually know uh, the winner of the presidential election on November 3rd, Florida still may be our best gauge of which way things are going to turn. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> That's a super good point, Adam. So well done. <laughs> all right, everybody. One last note before I sign off and thank all of our listeners and Jeremy and everybody. You've Got to read the Miami Herald if you care about what's going to happen in Florida. I cannot employ you strongly enough to be reading Bianca and read David Smiley. And with all the respect in the world to my friends and former colleagues at Politico and to Patty at the Times, the Miami Herald is going to crush this election. If you want to know what's happening, read Miami. All right. So thank you to our producer, Jeremy Sheeler, and to our executive producer, Davin Coburn. And thank you to our listeners. Check us out on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or whatever podcast app you use. And if you like what you're hearing, leave us a rating or a review. Talk to you next week. 